Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting you to the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited for March and the promise of spring. Here in Boone, we've enjoyed some sunshine and warmer days, which really is appreciated after a long winter. And as we enter March, we wanted to bring awareness to World Water Day. World Water Day is recognized on March 22nd every year, and its aim is to focus on the importance of clean water and bring awareness to the over 2.2 billion people who don't have access to clean water. That's such a large number, and Samaritan's Purse knows about this firsthand. About 20% of our work aims to assist in providing clean water and education through WASH, which stands for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. I love the way that Samaritan's Purse is constantly adapting and seeking ways to bring the gospel around the world through projects like WASH. WASH has continued to grow, and they're working to expand capabilities to better transport water in times of crisis. To help educate and bring awareness, I talked to Ken Isaacs, who serves as Vice President of Program and Government Relations. Before coming to Samaritan's Purse, he had a background in water. He worked with a well drilling and pump business, and now he's passionate about overseeing our multitude of water sanitation and hygiene projects, otherwise known as WASH. And to, so to start, you started by drilling wells. You, you knew the commercial water industry. Um, that was your expertise. So talk to me about how knowing that, knowing how you access water, gave you a passion for this within the ministry. So when I was a younger man uh, in the 70s and 80s, I worked for a, a family well drilling and uh, a pump business. And so we did wells at residences and commercial installations and later industrial installations. So I came from a background of water and I felt that God called me to the world and I had served as a volunteer in West Africa, helping teach people to run a drilling machine. And about um, uh, two years later, uh, Franklin called me one day and asked me to come and talk to him. He wanted advice about a drilling program in Ethiopia. The church, a, a church in Ethiopia had made a request to him to fund a well drilling project. And he didn't know if the equipment that they were asking for was just what was needed. So that, you know, to make a long story short, led to my family and I moving to Ethiopia to set up and run this clean water development program um, from for three years. So we were there from 88 to 1991. And during that time, I had the opportunity to see firsthand the challenges that households and all the family members had in getting water, not just clean water, but just an amount of water. And typically in the developing world, uh, uh, the average household is probably gonna spend two to six hours a day hauling water. Um, so, you know, I had an opportunity to see a lot. I had an opportunity to learn a lot, had a, the opportunity to help people. And uh, it was really, that is what birthed my whole entrance into everything that I do today. It was water. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned that. So World Water Day, you know, serves as a reminder of people that don't have access to clean water. And so they die of diseases that could have been prevented. Um, not to mention, like you said, the hours they spend during the day just collecting water. And, and then and when you collect it, you still have to boil it. You still have to make it clean. The difference, so here you learned how to do this trade here in the United States, and then you saw it overseas. How did that 
I guess, break your heart and change the way you wanted to bring this to the ministry? So um, I think waterborne diseases might be one of the leading causes of death in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a multitude of waterborne diseases. Um, along with water goes issues of hygiene, sanitation, waste disposal, all of those things are together. And so from our perspective, we think of my water's off today, I don't have clean water, I've got to go down to the store and get a couple gallons of clean water or whatever. Or you run the bathtub full before the storm comes, you know, in case the electricity goes out and you don't have water. But I think that in most parts of the world, uh, they don't have the, any kind of option like that. In fact, they don't even know to boil water. They're just getting the water from the river, from the mud hole where the animals are standing in it. Uh, you know, if you, you think of the major rivers around the world, they are the pipeline that carries away the sewage, and they're also the water supply that, that, that people use. So it, uh, we at, you know, at Samaritan's Purse have developed an array of activities based around this issue of improving people's life through water and sanitation and hygiene. And uh, I think it probably constitutes 20% of our work, it, mm -hmm. you, you know, just in the volume of what we do. And uh, so in the industry, it's called WASH. It used to be called Water and Hygiene, but now it's WASH. It stands for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. Mm -hmm. And so we find that with the supplying of clean water, you know, whether it's drilling a well or capping a spring or uh, whatever the source is, that um, the education to go along about sanitation and hygiene is equally important. So we do those in a, in a balanced kind of way. I believe that the UN determined, uh, you could look back and confirm this, but I believe that in the 1990s was called the decade of water. And they had a goal to supply everybody in the world with clean water in the 90s. But they fell short of that goal, okay, which should be no surprise uh, because it speaks to the complexities of water, the, you know, many areas of the world, it's arid. There's just not a, a high supply of water there. And then there's poverty throughout the world too and a lack of knowledge. So um, these are all things that affect people's lives um, and take their lives as well. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned about 20% of Samaritan's work, purse work deals with water. So some are um, after a storm, you know, they're coming in, but then some are long-term preventative, like you said. So what would you say, I guess, what's the difference between setting those up and coming in after the storm versus a preventative, you're looking ahead? So if you're working with a community and you want to establish a clean water system, it might look something like this. There will be a source. Mm -hmm that supplies the water. That could be a well or it could be two wells. It could be a spring head that's been capped up and, and water's coming down and running into a tank. Um, how's that water system going to be managed? Who owns it? And uh, when the pump breaks, who's gonna fix it? Mm -hmm. And uh, why would people come and get your clean source of water if they have to pay a penny or two for five gallons or 20 liras or, uh, you know, whatever they call their local water container, when they can go get it out of the river for free. And so you, you, you've got to work on, well, actually, here's the issues with the clean water. And I'll tell you something I've seen firsthand. 
In Ethiopia, we would drill a well, and we would organize a water committee in the community to own it, to take care of it. It's got to have a fence around it because you don't want the animals getting in there and, and defecating around um, on, on the, you know, on the concrete pad, and you don't want them breaking the pump. And then when the pump would break, though, you know, of a, of a normal breakage in the pump, people would find that in five days or a week, their children would get diarrhea again. And they realized right away, oh gosh, it's the water. It's the water. So even though we had done public education, public health campaigns on hygiene and the importance of clean water and all of that, you know, washing your water jug out before you capture the water in it, wash your dishes at the house, <clears throat> try to drink only the clean water. It's when they saw it in, 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 in the results of having dirty water in their family members, that's when they were like, oh, yeah, we got to get the pump. We got to get it fixed right now. So that was like a, 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 a real-time learning lesson for them. And it, and it was for us, too. It's like, okay, uh, you sort of empower the community. You sort of train them. You give them the, uh, you know, a hand forward in drilling a well. And they have to do certain things on their side. They need to pour the concrete pad. They need to build the fence. They need to dig the drainage ditch. They've got to establish their hours of operation. They need to establish how much they're going to charge every household. Are they going to assess each household a flat amount like say a property tax or something, or are they going to charge per container of water? And, and I've seen all of those models used. And it's neat to see communities come together around a water source and figure out how they're going to manage it. In a crisis, let's say like a hurricane or an earthquake or something where pipes in the ground are broken or wells have snapped off because where the vertical hole was, the ground shifted and, and now, you know, there's not a well there anymore. You have a different circumstance. You have a circumstance where um, you have a large number of people that are suddenly without water. And um, that could be in, like in, for example, in Indonesia, it could be in Japan during uh, the tsunami in 2011, it could be in Haiti during the earthquake in 2010. You suddenly have hundreds of thousands or millions of people that don't have water. And water and, and the need for water becomes a desperate circumstance in their lives. Uh, in that kind of scenario, it's important to have something that can produce water quickly. And, you know, it's easy to think in terms of sending water, bottled water, because bottled water has now become a convenience, you know, in our lives. And, and it really has all over the world. Like you can find bottled water anywhere that you go in the world. <clears throat> but water weighs 8.64 pounds per gallon. It is the least viable option to transport it. And if you're transporting it, Let's say that we've had a hurricane in Alabama or New Orleans or somewhere. Okay, well, they need water right now. And, it, you know, you don't have to transport it from huge distances. You could do it by truck. It's more affordable. Mm -hmm. And you can get water in <clears throat> people's hands right away because they need it. But if you're in Haiti, you don't want to put that water in a truck or and take it to the airport and then fly it down there. That's you know, not the best. So you need some kind of equipment that can filter water. And what we've been working on at Samaritan's Purse is expanding our ability to deliver uh, water in times of emergency. And that involves different kinds of filtration units. The one that we're working on right now is a reverse osmosis uh, unit and, and a setup, one that we can 
put into our aircraft, and we can actually throw the suction hose into the ocean, pump the water right out of the ocean, and deliver fresh water on the other side. And um, we're building a number of these, uh, including the water bladders and the tap stands so that we can let the unit run 24 hours a day, except for the period of time when it's got a backwash. And we store that water in the bladder. People can come up with their containers and they can get um, clean water. And, you know, if you're looking at some kind of a situation, let's say in the interior part of Africa where there's been a war and, uh, you know, half a million people fled and and now they're out in the field. Um, So the field would look like um, a barnyard, except it's full of human waste. And uh, they're walking through it, and I've been in places, and they're dipping the water out. This is the water that they're using. So something different needs to be done in that kind of a scenario. And again, you can rely on water filtration. You could use reverse osmosis, and it will clean it. But there's so much, you know, uh, mud and solubles in it that it'll clog the filters up. So you have a, a different kind of filtration system, and we're building those two. Um, but what we want to be able to do is to supply as much water as we can to people during crisis. And we're thinking in magnitudes of tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. how we would do that. But uh, we've got a actually an entire uh, water division that we're building up right now. And uh, as we have gotten more aircraft over the years, we're customizing our response to fit into airplanes so that we can be in different areas of the world right away as quick as we can, you know, to to help with this need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so complicated. That's why I appreciate you trying to break it down for us. Um, it is just alarming <laughs> that, you know, this time and day with how much resources we have and all these, that there are so many that don't have water. And so, like you said, back in the 90s when they tried to get water throughout the world, it, it just isn't obtainable. But But why? So here we are what, 30 years later, and it still hasn't been met. Um, and you, you're you saying the importance of building the capability to be able to do this. Um, but why, why haven't we come up with this in the world? So, you know, if, if you look at developed countries, United States, Canada, Australia, Japan, China, it, it takes flourishing economies to get cities organized and to resource the city to set up large filtration plants to have a centralized distribution system where you can go to your kitchen, turn the water on, and you get it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That actually takes like a long, long time to to do that. Uh, China, most recently, is probably one of the fastest developing countries. So they have this sort of layer of super rich people, and then they've got a huge middle class. And then they actually have a like a section of their country with probably, you know, seven or eight hundred million people in it. That, um, but in a way, they're also a developing country. But as their economy comes up, they're able to put these centralized water systems in and provide for the needs of their citizens. I remember going to China in um, 2006 after an earthquake in uh, in Chengdu, and um, the earthquake had broken all the underground lines. So we took water filtration equipment over there and set it up and the Chinese were very warm and they fed us like on the streets. And, you know, they were just very, very grateful. But they were used to having clean water. And this was not in, you know, a super city like Shanghai or Beijing. It was just a sort of a small rural community. 
And, uh, but if you went out past that, they wouldn't be used to having clean water. So, you know, the need for clean water starts with education. People need to know that, you know, it's not healthy to drink dirty water and how do you dispose of human waste? They need to know these things. And uh, a lot of places in the world don't know that. They don't have the economy, they don't have the knowledge, uh, and they're, you know, I won't say trapped in cycles of poverty. That, that's, I don't think that's true. I just think that they haven't lifted themselves up yet. And um, it, it stems all the way to the issues of their national leadership how they drive the economy, how they let the economy flourish, how corrupt they are, how greedy they are. So there's a lot of complicating factors. But the reality is that most people that don't have clean water are victims of the societies that they live in. Mm -hmm. And so one of my favorite interviews was an Operation Christmas Child, you know, full circle story where a boy from Africa received a shoebox and he just talked about how yeah, he had to walk hours each day to get water. Um, so when he moved to the States, I mean, he was just baffled that there were about 10 faucets within his home. I mean, it just almost made him sick. And so can you talk to me, again, I've never seen this firsthand. I've never seen somebody have to go for water. So I can only hear stories from people like Eve and like you, but can you maybe just tell us a personal testimony of how you saw a community or family just transformed by having clean water and access. I'm sure you've seen so many. Yes, I can tell you one um, more recently that's been very interesting um, in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. But we drilled a series of wells. We connected them together. The water gets pumped up into a tank, a, an elevated tank, and that gives it you know, pressure to run down from the, the head pressure. And our objective was that every hut in the village would have a spigot. So we were able to deliver, and I think there was maybe like 80 or 90 uh, houses in that village. And uh, we were able to put a spigot at every house, and the house had to pay like $5 or something into a communal. We didn't get that money, but that was establishing their community uh, system, you know, and how they would pay for the pumps when they repaired, or excuse me, when they broke and needed repair. And... Um, I was shocked. There was like three or 400 people there at this little, you know, it was a big deal. There were kids dancing and they had acrobats on the stage and, uh, you know, but the notion of having clean water absolutely changes people's lives. Just imagine in your own life, uh, you've got a, a healthy, uh, vibrant family that I'm no doubt keeps you busy because you got Edward and kids and stuff. and But imagine that you had to um, send Liam to get water and it was gonna be four hours each way. And, and he would bring this heavy five gallon thing of water back and that's what you had for the day. And then suddenly having the, and, and maybe you even know that, that drinking that water will you know, create health problems and you boil it. Well, somebody's gotta go get that firewood. You know, that, that's all energy. It requires time. And, and, and so now, instead of doing whatever else you do, maybe, you know, teaching your children or taking care of the house or preparing food or working in the garden, tending the animals, whatever it is that you might be doing, now you're dealing with water, okay? If, if you didn't have to deal with that water, 
then it would be like increasing your availability to do other things. It would increase your time by 30%, 40%. So um, that would be like, you know, you no longer have to feed the kids, right? It, <laughs> it's like suddenly you're going to have more time. And it, it would translate that way into everybody's life. Um, water is essential to life. We cannot live without water. And uh, people know that. They, like, you don't have to teach them that. They know that. Mm-hmm. They got to have water. And uh, so by being able to deliver that water to each hut in Cambodia, it changed their lives. And now we have gone back since that time, and, and we maintain activity in there and livelihood training. There's people that have gardens, okay, because they're taking that little bit of water, and they're using it for irrigation. They learn how to catch their gray water where they've washed mm-hmm. their hands. And they're using that water in the gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got uh, more domestic animals. Uh, they're raising crops and selling them. Um, so we've seen an amazing uh, change in people's lives and in their livelihood because of that water. And then not far from this same village, <clears throat> we dug a canal to bring uh, water in from the river. So it's not clean water, but it's water. The availability of that water coming in allowed them to dig ditches off to the side by hand and it, for rice paddies. And now they have become a nationally known source of rice paddies and mushrooms in this area. And this was a very, very dry, arid, poor area. And um, actually, uh, Greta Van Susteren and her husband, John Cole, were up there with uh, Franklin and me. And they took a personal interest in that canal and get it. But it, it, it's a different source of water. It's not clean water, but still it drives home the point of the value that water is to our lives because now people are able to make a living and to raise vegetables and fruit and chickens and they keep pigs. And before that, they couldn't do any of those things because they didn't have the water. I mean, if you have a hard time going to get water just for your human consumption, where you can get it for the animals, Mm -hmm. I can't have any animals. So um, it it can really affect people's lives in the most positive way. And uh, conversely, if you lose your supply of water, uh, your life can get trashed real quick. Mm Man, I could sit here all day. You're a subject matter expert, but also just tender. I think God has changed your heart over the years. So finally, to close, I'm sure, you know, there's so many. In fact, I found so many scriptures on water. You know, one of the most used is John 4, you know, 13 through 14, where Jesus is at the well, you know, with the woman. And he says, you know, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But I give, you know, a source that you will never— a spring that will give you eternal life. And so we we know that analogy where, like you said, everybody knows we need water. We can't live without it, but we can't live without Jesus. So what a, what a perfect way to share the gospel, you know, to give them this physical need, but yet this spiritual need that's more important. So how has the Lord, I guess, changed your faith through these water projects and seeing these neat, these changes in these communities? And how have you been able to share the gospel with people? Well, you know, water, it, is, it goes back to the beginning of the Bible. And remember Moses struck the rock with a stick, he parted the Red Sea. I mean, water has played an integral part in the entire landscape of, of God's Word. And in my life, uh, I was a blue-collar worker, and God used water to call me to the world. And uh, coming from Boone, North Carolina, um, and just having done one simple volunteer experience for a month long, 
God put that burden in my heart that I go to the world, and I didn't know what that meant. So, uh, you know, he certainly has changed my life. I've seen people's lives changed because of clean water and the supply of clean water. But I have also seen the gospel shared at Wells. Mm -hmm. I've seen churches uh, to be built in communities. I can't say the whole community, but there are communities of believers, um, and the catalyst uh, for them was— that somebody cared enough to come and help them get clean water and work with them and maybe showed them the Jesus film or maybe uh, brought pastors and evangelists in to help share. You know, I always say that the quality of our work is a platform of our witness, and it's really no different um, between water and medicine. It, it, it's the same. If you have a reason to be there, it's a legitimate reason, and you're meeting a need— uh, then you sort of earn a hearing for the gospel. Even if you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, the the Samaritan, the catalytic question was, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. And uh, so Jesus says, what does the scripture say? I won't go through the whole parable. But uh, when he actually gets into the story of the Good Samaritan and what he did, he bandaged his wounds, put him on a donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. So when he bandaged his wounds, that was medical. The donkey was logistics. The end, he would have gotten uh, water because he didn't have any. He was left by the side of the road dead. He would have gotten a blanket or a robe or something because he was naked. He would have gotten food, and he would have gotten shelter. And, and those are the six sectors of what we do today. And, and officially, internationally, those are the sectors of humanitarian response. So mm-hmm. uh, water plays a key role in that. And um, uh, and Jesus is the water of life. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, so I guess, yeah, I said that was the final question, but I guess to, to close with praying, um, like you said, we've been, Samaritan's Purse has been working and dealing with water for a long time, probably since the beginning. But now more than ever, we see that you see a need. And so there's, like you said, a division, what would you call it, um, trying to create even more capabilities. So how can we be praying? Well, um, you know, it, it's a big generalized prayer to pray for clean water for the world. Mm-hmm. And But, I, you know, within the regards and the confines of Samaritan's Purse, uh, I would ask for prayer that our water programming would be effective in meeting the need for clean water and for improved hygiene, and that that would be a tool for the gospel. And that looks different in in different ways. You know, if you're in a field and there's 300,000 people there and they need clean water, you you got to get them water now. And God will open doors later and and how to share the gospel. But for those doors to be opened uh, is always a prayer uh, request. And that God would give us favor and he would give us creative thinking and insight into ways that we can help meet water needs around the world. I know I enjoyed hearing from Ken and hearing a breakdown of the WASH program. It truly is amazing to hear how clean water can truly bring change to communities. Their physical lives truly change in their trajectory. But more important, it earns the opportunity to share the gospel and tell people about the spring of living water that Jesus offers. I love the way that lives are changed physically, but more importantly, spiritually. If you want to hear more about WASH, we have a World Water Day episode on On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse. It has even more interviews and voices that help shed light on the importance of clean water and the work that Samaritan's Purse is doing around the world. 
I knew that it challenged me personally. And every time I turn on a faucet in my home, I pray for these programs and I am so grateful for the clean water that I have for my family. Thank you again for tuning in today and thank you for serving in Jesus' name. May God bless your day.